Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, Romans chapter 1. We are leaving the introduction, and um, we're going to move into a section in which Paul makes very... I'm sorry? Second sentence. Yeah, literally. Very literally. You know, if... Paul had a modern English teacher. They'd hate him. <laughs> they say, no more writing assignments, not until Paul gets out of my class. <laughs> you don't have to write anything, just your name. <laughs> um, but um, in this next section, he is going to just lay out and, and his heart's desire to see these people at Rome and to impart to them spiritual uh, training and understanding and uh, his desire to preach the gospel to them. Uh, but there's something we're going to look at uh, briefly tonight, hopefully briefly. Hopefully we can get through it all tonight. It's a lot. I, I'd like to look at it a lot more, but we, we just it would take weeks to do. And uh, we're not going to do that. Well, I will spare you the joy that I would have of sitting here for three or four hours telling you about this one thing. But um, some of you have lives. <laughs> And places to go and things to do and don't want to be here with me all night. So I have a friend. Well, he, he's passed. I think he passed away. Jim Gatlin. Did he pass away? I haven't even. Maybe I don't know if he passed away or not. I hadn't seen him in a long time, obviously. Um, he's actually, he, he was the previous pastor of the church I'm going to preach at. And um, he was there for about 20, 25 years. And, um, and then he, he retired and uh, one time, Kristen and I went back there to, he was such a, he was a, 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 one of the most humble men I've ever met, but he was a goofball. He was hilarious. And um, so, so we went back there one time, and I preached for the church, and, and he was there, not, no longer the pastor, he just happened to be there. And um, he, he met my wife and I out in the parking lot, he was like, can, can, we, we needed to leave that evening, we didn't have time to stay. And he said, uh, can I take you and your wife out to dinner this evening? I said, well, what time? He said, well, I'm preaching at another church tonight. I said, well, what time will you be done? He said, well, I finish around 10. Now they leave at 7. I don't know why. They're just rude. They just walk out while I'm... 
<laughs> and, then, and then I go and I open the door for my wife. He's like, oh, good idea. And he runs over <laughs> and is going to go open the door for his wife. And he, was, he was hilarious. So um, anyways, I don't know why, why I told you that story, but... Um, Oh, yeah, y'all don't want to be here for a while. You might walk out on me and just leave me standing here teaching myself. So, uh, <laughs> all right, um, Nathan has given me the cue to move it along. All right, so we're going to read verses 8 through 15. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always, always in my prayers. Now, that, that's written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's not a lie. That's amazing. That's, that's a good example. Verse 10, making requests, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, in that introduction, this is far more significant now, what he just said, based on what we just studied in the introduction, that, that they are the called of Jesus Christ, the beloved of God. They, they are separated to this faith in, in, in the gospel of, of, of God. And so now when he makes this statement, they understand very clearly he's talking about us, our faith, which is, which is, it makes it far more appealing and interesting to the people reading this. Verse 13, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray. Father, we sure thank you for loving us and being so good to us. And uh, Lord, we have a long list of needy people that, that sure need your help in our church. And uh, we pray for Miss Vicki. We pray for the Hill Buns and all that's going on in their lives and and uh, Philip and uh, Brother Hoyt, uh, just so many people that have so many needs that only you can meet. And uh, we know that you're faithful and true and that you'll do it. And we'll just do our best to trust you, to live for you, to be faithful to you. And I pray that you'd have your way in our lives. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to obey it. Help it to correct us, teach us, build us, strengthen us. And uh, that you'd have your way in our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Paul is, is hyper-focused now on these people. And he opens this next section in Romans 1 by informing the, the Christians at Rome of his desire to see them. And, and he lays that out very clearly. He, he really wanted to see these people. He really wanted to preach to these people, teach these people, spend time with these people. He prays for them. He, he, he labors over them in prayer, uh, which is a, a very important aspect of the Christian life that is far too often neglected, um, but he tells them his desire to see them and to be with them, and uh, he is he's thankful for them. Now, before we dive into one of the greatest uh, documents in existence, 
One of the most instructive documents with reference to biblical Christianity, the, the book of Romans, um, it, it would be important for me to let you know that I am thankful for you. And, you know, the, not everybody was excited about my wife and I coming here. Even some people that we love dearly and were very close to us turned their backs on us in a very terrible way. And you don't know anything about it. <laughs> Now, those same people have shown themselves to be very excited when other people they know went to other mission fields or took a church or, or, or did something similar to what we're doing. And that's exciting. But they have no concern whatsoever for the six or seven or ten people who were sitting here praying for a pastor. And, and instead of encouraging us and helping us and blessing us, uh, some of them, it just didn't go well, put it that way. <laughs> and... One of the things that was important to us was your reception of us. And, and, and the Lord, we are, we are 100% confident, opened this door and provided the means for us to get here. And one of the ways we see that, when it was time for us to go to Uganda, nothing could stop us. Um, every step of the way, it's like God just kicked doors open and made things available. And the same thing happened when it was time for us to come here. And, and we thank God for that and praise the Lord for that. And so we, we take this very seriously. We take each and every one of you very seriously and, and want you to know that we are very thankful for you to you. And, and not just that, but you've been very good to my family. And I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, many of you have gone way out of your way to, to help my family and to be a blessing to my family. And that means the world to me. And I appreciate it. That's why, though I've taken this job, this is my primary responsibility. And, and it may, I may have to give my time to these other things until we can get things going here, and that's okay. I'm in no rush, and so I, I don't plan to go anywhere. Um, you may find out that uh, you wish I would. <laughs> but wish, my mom used to say, wish in one hand and cry in the other and see which one fills up first. <laughs> <laughs> she was not very compassionate. <laughs> uh, all right. So now too often people don't care what what Christians have to say because it's obvious that Christians don't really care. And, and that's a problem. And, and what I mean is sometimes we want to go up to somebody and we want to instruct somebody or tell somebody or correct somebody, but you've made no investment in their life. You've made no demonstration that you care about them or that, that you're trying to help uh, reveal to them what would be best for them according to the Word of God. And until that link is made, nobody cares what you have to say. And, and I've been guilty of that. When I first got saved, I, you know, I, I was... I've been, I'd been, I grew up in the streets of Memphis. I had a very violent upbringing. I had a chip on my shoulder. You know, had, had watched the, you know, these men. My mom had dated, um, physically beat her, and then I, I went into the military and became, you know, an angry military trained, you know, person. <laughs> and and so throughout, throughout time, it just it it never really got better. I, I was very aggressive. I have a very aggressive personality. I became a fighter. I was very close to becoming a professional mixed martial arts fighter. All, all these things, directing all this energy in this direction, and then I get saved. Amen. Well, yeah, amen. Just be thankful you didn't know me that first year or two. <laughs> 
because I would have made you trust in Jesus if you didn't listen to me. (laughs) I would take you down and (laughs) put you in a headlock or do something if you didn't trust. And so I... I, I, I read like a hundred books the first year I was saved, so I had a head full of knowledge, I meant well, and had a very aggressive attitude, and I angered a lot of people trying to help them. Now, looking back, most, much of what I told these people was right. It wasn't wrong, but when you get in somebody's face and you, and you start ripping their face off because they don't trust in Jesus, they don't care if it's right or wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that's not what Paul did. He's about to go into this letter, this long, drawn-out explanation of Christianity. And the first thing he wants these people to know is, I, I, I love you. I am thankful for you. I want so badly to be there with you. I have tried to come to you. I want you to know that I have done everything I can to try and be there with you so that I can teach you. But for now, this letter is going to have to suffice. So he doesn't open the letter with, I've heard what you people at Rome are doing. And they're like, well, who, who are you? <laughs> who is Paul? Nobody. What, what, again, we talked about this church at Rome being started. No, as far as we can tell, no apostle started this church. So nobody, nobody of, of interest that we know of from the Bible has made any personal investment in this church. And then Paul shows up with a letter and talks about how he wants to come there. And before he starts ripping into... Their society, which we're going to see in the second, in the latter half of this chapter, he wants them to know how much he cares about them. And, and, and a lot of you know the saying probably, and I don't even know if I know it properly, but you know, nobody cares what you have to say until they, until they know that you care or how, however the cliche goes. Nailed it, right? <laughs> he's, he must know what it is and he's going to leave me sinking. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, but you get the idea. If, if you don't, you know, uh, there's some young men that need some help right now, and some people have mentioned that I should talk to them. I have, I have no investment in their life. You can't do it that way. I can't just show up and say, I have all the answers that you need. You need to listen to me, and it'll get your life together. It's not going to work. They, 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 so what I, what I have to do, I have to approach it strategically and tell people who know that person and say, I'd be willing to talk to him if, if, if he wanted to talk to me. But it's up to him. If I go barging in, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess. But if I can send, you know, messenger pigeons to drop <laughs> notes on his head and say, hey, by the way, there's somebody who might be willing to help you if you're interested, then it's very different. It's just, it's just hard to help people who don't want to be helped or help people who don't think that you have any real concern for their soul. And if you don't, then, then why, do, why would they listen to you? You're no different than another self-help book that they'd buy on the shelf. And, and so that's just, Paul, Paul made very clear to these people he cared about them. And winning people over to the truths of God's word might be a marathon rather than a sprint. But too often we treat it like a sprint and we're dragging people over the finish line, whether they want to come or not. And, and so when they get their feet back under them, they just leave. Yeah. I understand the sense of urgency, and we should have that, that's that, that sense of urgency. We should be concerned, but let's rush to people who are needy, and then once we get to them, slow down and take time with them. 
I think too, too often we, we, we've heard all these, you know, I, I know of a, fa- a famous preacher, if I said his name, most of you would probably know him, who went to Africa and he went to three countries in Africa. And when he came back, he said 7,000 people got saved. Well, why'd you come back? <laughs> why not stay there and win the whole continent? <laughs> 7,000 people got saved in 24 hours or three days. I don't believe a word of it. You came back and you put out the numbers so the, so the crowds that follow you would say, oh, what a, what a man. <laughs> Modern Apostle Paul, who, by the way, never won 7,000 people right. in three days. And, and so it's, it's ridiculous. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. We want to give people what they need from the Word of God so that they can make an informed decision on their own. I can't make you. I can't push you. I can't force you. And, and that, by the way, that goes for the saved and the lost. If a, if a person gets saved and they don't see what's wrong with something they're doing in their life, well, I can have a beer every now and then. Well, you can. <laughs> but have you seen what God has to say about that? Now, if I go and I rebuke him and rip his face off and, and you know, all that, then it's, the door is shut and he doesn't care. He's going to go do what he wants. But if I work with him and show him what the Bible says about alcohol and how terrible it is and how God tells you repeatedly, don't touch that. It's going to hurt you. Then, then the Holy Spirit can work in his heart and he can think it through and he can make the decision on his own. Well, we, our crowd is not very good at that. We, we like the ripping people's face off part. And then we go and brag about how I ripped, I, I told him all about the alcohol in his fridge and, oh, well, where is he now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and never coming back to any church ever. Now, I'm not saying you should just let things go, but you do need to work with people and consider where they are and where they came from and where you're trying to help them to go and take your time and lovingly bring them along. We're not trying to, this is not a come as you are and stay as you are type church. This is come as you are and then let me, let me help you get to where you need to be, <laughs> which is for everybody, by the way, including me. Uh, and so, so that, that we're, we're not going to do that kind of thing here. And so Paul wanted them to know, I love you. I am concerned about you. I am excited for you. Now, here's a whole book of information that you need desperately. And, and it's instructive, and it built this church. It helped to, helped to further strengthen this church, who, by the way, would very soon meet horrendous persecution of the worst sort. You know, at the hand of a church, <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church, nothing more loving than, you know, death and torture chambers established by a church. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Anyway, so he, he moves to speak positive of them. And, and he tells them how, how thankful he is for their faith, which is spoken of throughout the whole world. And from this positive and caring position, he moves on to teach them what God wants them to know. Now, here's the first indication of that. Look again at at verse 8. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God. Now, from here on, even from the start, we're going to look at it. We're going to look at every mention of the word God in Romans 1. But in the book of Romans, the word God, G-O-D, is mentioned around 145 times, 144, 145, somewhere around there in the entire book. 
So you can see why I would be here by myself tonight going through all these. <laughs> Maybe Brother Hoyt would stay with me, but Kathleen would probably leave you. <laughs> He'd be asleep. Not even <laughs> well, I would appreciate it anyways. Um, but we are going to look at it in, in Romans 1. And what, what ends up happening is the, the motivating factor for this is, is, is the fact that he, he is thankful to his God for these people. And we're going to learn a lot about, about Paul's God in the book of Romans just by looking at chapter 1. Now, there's more to learn. We'll talk about those as we go, and, and we'll run into these as we progress. But if you just look at chapter 1 and everything it has to say about God, uh, it's pretty incredible, pretty instructive about the true and living God. And so tonight we'll look at Romans 1 and see what it has to say about it. Look at, we'll start in verse 1. Uh, you probably hadn't been there in a while, so... Um, we'll go back. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So the very first thing that the most instructive book to the New Testament church has to say is that God has a gospel. It is good news about his son, and you need it desperately. Do not die. Do not step out into eternity without trusting in his son. The good news about his son is that he has died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And, and that message needs to be proclaimed everywhere and anywhere there is a human soul around the world. Yeah. Repeatedly, nonstop. It, it, it's a never-ending gospel. It's, an, it's a never-ending requirement to preach that gospel, at least not until Jesus Christ comes back and says, okay, the church is leaving, and, and okay, then you can take a break. Till then, there's no rest. No rest for the weary. Uh, look at verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So the next thing that he would want you to know is that this God that he follows, that he teaches, that he preaches, has a son. His son is Jesus Christ, the word who was made manifest in the flesh and came and lived among us and died on the cross and paid for our sins. He lived a perfect, sinless, holy, righteous life. It was your sin he took into his body, not his own. He didn't have any. And, and so this God that Paul preaches has a son. Jesus Christ is his name or his, his human name. Verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be loved by God and you want peace with God, that's all going to come through his son, through the gospel that we've already talked about. You've got to trust in Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, you, you will become loved by God. Now, before that, you're not. <laughs> All right, now, he loved you enough to let his son die on the cross for you, but, but he does not love you enough to, let you, to, to overlook your sin and let you into heaven. And if you want to become the beloved of God, that goes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. If you want peace with God, Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Yeah. Right, that's the God that Paul is preaching and that Paul is teaching and, and that he wants us to follow. Uh, look at verse 8 again, and, and we'll just review it again, just to store up our pure minds by way of remembrance. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And so the next thing that God would have you to know about Paul's God is that he wants you to pray for your brethren. 
Pray for churches. Pray for God's people. Be thankful. If we had the time and ran that through the New Testament, you'd see it repeatedly. You have no reason not to be thankful. If you think you do, please take a trip with me to Uganda. I want to take you out to Bukakata or the Sese Islands and let you see what, what being deprived of the good things life has to offer looks like. If you've never been outside this country, you don't even have a reference for poverty. We're talking about people that make, you know, not even a dollar a day sometimes. And that's it. That's all they got. They, they work just to make a little money to get food that day. If they bought extra food, they don't even have a pantry to put it in. We, you walk into in America, you walk in the kitchen and, and you know, you've got this big pantry full of food. But that's, that's an American thing. Nobody else in the world does that. Even if you go to Europe, they go and buy the food they're going to eat most of the time that day. All right, so we live in a country, we fill the pantry up with food that's pumped full of chemicals and preservatives and all sorts of other things. I mean, a Twinkie can last like 10 years on a shelf. <laughs> you don't get that there. You, you go and you buy fruit that day, it's... You better eat it because in the next few days, it's, it's all going to rot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to rot. It's not pumped full of preservatives and, 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 and all this junk that gets put in our food as, as, as we have here. Um, anyways, I mean, get off on any of that. Now that makes any difference. Verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, repeatedly in this chapter, Paul has told us he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and God himself, Paul says, God himself will be a witness of that fact. Is that true in your life? Could you say, could you tell the world with, 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 uh, with a clear mind, knowing that God would back it up, that God is your witness that you serve him? It's important. You, you want to make sure you're putting in the effort or at least trying, so that if, hopefully God will come along and say, well, they, they tried. <laughs> but Paul could say, with full confidence, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I serve God, and he will testify that I serve him. That's pretty bold. That's what he said, though. God wants you to serve him. And, and Jesus Christ said, if, if you will testify of me, then I will do the same for you. All right Now, if you're going to deny me before men, guess what's going to happen? The Lord's going to deny you. All right, you see, see how that works? <laughs> that, that's, that's very simple, very plain. Serve the Lord. Be ready to stand before God and say, I did what I knew how to do, what I could do to serve you. And, and, and be able to say it confidently. Verse 10, look at verse 10. Making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So this same God has a will for your life. He has desires for your life. He has, as some people say, and it gets taken a bit out of context, he has a plan for your life. But you know where you're going to find that plan? Right here in this book. It's not going to be some magical message that he drops down in your lap one day or writes in the sky or, or gives you some tingly feeling about. It's going to be in the word of God. Repeatedly, the Bible says God wills that you do this and you do that. That's the will of God concerning your life. All right. God wills that every man everywhere would repent. 
All right, so there's number one. Get that down. (laughs) And then let's move on to the next one. But God's God's will for your life is in his word, and and he expects you to abide by it. And Paul Paul is is doing his best to try and do things in accord with the will of God. Well, where would he find that? In Scripture. Now, he had the extra benefit of writing Scripture, so uh, maybe we'll say he, he had an edge. But we're still expected to do it. Verse 16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this God is a powerful God. He is a mighty God. He is mighty to save. He has the ability to to forgive your sins and to save your soul. But that will only come and only happen through the gospel. There's no other way. But he is powerful enough, he is mighty enough to be able to do that for you. Now look at verse 17. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this God, the same God, is a righteous God. He's holy. He doesn't toy with sin. He doesn't play with sin. Now uh, we're going to see in these ne- from verse 16, 17, 18 to 19, uh, even down to verse 21, we're going to learn that this, this God, if, if you don't want to follow after righteousness, he's going to give you what you want. You want, to, you want to chase after sin? Go get it. But while some, while, while some people would say, oh, I can, I can go, I'm so excited. No, you are in the moment. But a few days later, a few years later, a few decades later, you're going to look back and you're going to ask yourself, what have I done? That, all, that sin that was fun for a season has consequences that are hard for a long time. <laughs> and you don't want to toy with it. He is a righteous God, and you're going to end up calling down his wrath. And, and In fact, look at verse 18. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, before we get to God, I just find it interesting. These men have the truth and they make a conscious decision to hold it in righteous uh, in unrighteousness, which means they have it. So when an atheist tells you, well, I don't believe in God. No, that's not true. You've chosen to hold the truth in unrighteousness. You do believe in God. You know what? You know how I know you believe in God? Because you get angry every time we talk about God. You don't get that way when we talk about Santa Claus. (laughs) You don't act like that when we talk about the Easter Bunny. Why do you get so angry when we talk about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? It's because you know it's real. You just chose to hold the truth in unrighteousness, which is your choice. But you will suffer the consequences. Right now, it is your choice, but one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There there will be no option on that day. You have the choice now. Make the right choice. And and they don't want to do that. So they're going to end up with the wrath of God. That's, you know, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God. These are not things you want to toy with. You know, you, you don't want to play with God's anger. And... You know, people, they, they like to say, well, I, you know, if, if, I, if God was here, I would tell him, no, 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 you would not. You, you would be trembling in fear. You think if you saw God, you're going to tell him, you know, you're going to give him what for. <laughs> no, you're going to be on the floor. 
with your knees clashing together in, in, in complete fear. So uh, verse 19, look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God. That, now this is amazing to me. I, this verse blows my mind every time I read it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. And, and he goes on later to say they are without excuse. There is no excuse. You can claim to believe what you want. But God so established an order to this world that you know there's a God. That's why there's not a single ancient society ever, to ever be discovered that did not believe in some form of deity. They know there's a creator. They know there's a God. They might make the mistake as to who that God is. They might, they might not end up trusting in the one true and living God, but they know there's a God. They know there's a creator. In fact, you know what they come up with on their own? I got to do something to please this God. So let me sacrifice something. In nearly every society throughout history, that, that's the way things went. And, and, and it's, a, it's a, a vulgar attempt to try and please God. And they don't know who God is. They're stumbling in the dark. Now they could know if they had submitted to truth rather than making up a lie they could have come to the knowledge of the true and living God and chose not to. Instead, they chose to just, let's, let's carve a totem pole and call it God. <laughs> that doesn't work. You can't go make something and it's, oh, look at this. It's God. Um, no, no, our God made all things. We don't, we don't make God. Verse 21, look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but become vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, I love the intricacy of the wording of this verse. L listen again to what he said. Because that when they, when they knew God, they knew him. We're talking about people. We're the Bible says that Jesus Christ is that true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Nobody comes into this world without light. People say, well, what about people? And it's so funny. People come to us and say, it, it, before we ever went to Africa, we'd, I, we'd be on the streets in the land. They'd be like, you know, you're, you can only te preach this and, and teach this in America. So why do you say that? Well, what about the, the poor people in Africa who have never heard? I'm like, do you know there are more African nations that call themselves Christian nations and probably more people who call themselves Christians in Africa than there are in America? And they just look at you like, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay, this, this, did you know there are probably more Christians in India and China than there are in America? All right, so, so where are you going to, because the next thing they're going to say is, okay, well, what about people in India who have never heard? The people in India have had the gospel for, for almost 2,000 years. There are, there are churches there that have actual evidence of, I believe it was the Apostle Thomas, being there in India preaching the gospel. All right, so... Paul said before his life was over, the gospel was preached to every creature in every nation under the sun. Yeah. That argument doesn't work. Everybody, everybody gets a chance to find out who God is. They may or may not get an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus Christ. But God said that if you will submit to the truth I gave you, like the sun, the heavens, which declare the glory of God, 
the earth. If there is a creation, there must be a creator. If you will submit to that, God will send you more truth and more truth and more truth and, and judge you on that basis rather than you didn't know who I was, so you carved a stick and called it God? That's not going to work. That's not how it works. You're going to call down the wrath of God. And so he, he says very clearly, they knew me. They knew God, but they refused. I mean, think about the wording. They refused to glorify me as God, which means they knew I was God. They knew me and they said, I will not let you have that position. I'm going to go worship a totem pole or an animal or whatever, a creeping thing, man, something, but not you. They made a conscious decision at some point in their lives. And, and in America, you get trained into that idea. You get educated out of your belief in God. If you go to our school systems, they teach you that you're nothing more than an ape who's running around. And then they get surprised when they come back and start acting like it. We don't know why he shot up the school. Really? You told him he's just an object of evolution for, for the past 12 years, and you don't know why he came and shot up the school? Verse 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Our God, Paul's God, cannot be corrupted now, you might hold the truth and unrighteousness, but it does nothing to change the character and person of God whatsoever. He cannot be corrupted. You, you, can't, you can't convince him to do something that is corrupt or biased or improper, or, or you're, you're not going to sway him into doing something that's unrighteous uh, for your benefit or against your benefit, it's not going to happen. He's righteous. He's holy. He is uncorruptible. It's not even an option. It can't happen. It people say God can do anything. And then they read a verse that says God cannot lie. <laughs> he can't. He cannot be corrupted. So can God do anything? Well, he can't be corrupted. He can't lie. <laughs> So you just want to be a little more careful with the wording. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of, your own, of, the, of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. All right, you want, to, you want to live like a devil? You want to live in sin? God will knock on your door and knock on your door and he will send person after person to plead with you. The Holy Spirit will do all he can to convict you. But once your conscience is seared, and you decide, I, don't, I do not want God. I want my sin. There you go. God will give you over to it. And your sin, you're going to find out the hard way, far too late, that your sin was bondage. God was trying to set you free, and you desperately fought God to go out into bondage. That is, that is not a good idea. And, uh, but if you push God, he, he will, he, you know, if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Yeah. Don't do that. Why enter into a game that you shouldn't be playing in the first place? You might win. 
And, and you're going to find out later, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have played that game. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped the, and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. So Paul's God, our God, is blessed forever. The question is, will you be blessed forever? And your ability to be blessed forever is dependent upon your relationship with that God. All blessings flow from him. So if you want to be blessed, this is where you have to go. Now, God gives, for now, God put, he, sends, he sends his reign upon the just, the unjust. He gives his light to, to everybody. He doesn't say, well, that, that guy's a devil. Turn the sun off for him. That's not what happens. God, he gives it to him anyways. But a day is coming when that man's blessings, only due to his existence on a planet where the church is and the Holy Spirit is, is going to come to an end. And when that comes to an end, that's going to be a dark, dark day for, for people of that sort who made that choice. Verse 26, for this, called, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, everybody knows what that means. I don't even have to explain it. That's, I mean, only God can word it that way, that it's so clear, so concise, and yet not dirty. <laughs> but if, if, if you're going to go chase sexual perversion, God's going to give you over to it. And you might think it's what you want, and only to find out later, it's not at all what you want. You're, you're going to wish you had listened to somebody. And, and that's where it's incumbent upon us to show, show them that we are concerned. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. I care about you. Don't do this. And, and they have to know that it's coming from a loving heart, not just a, oh, you're just, you're just self-righteous. You're just legalistic. I'm, I mean, I don't, know where, I don't know where homosexuality and legalism, I don't know where that line is exactly. They seem pretty far apart. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it, you need to, we need to do all that we can to, to demonstrate to people how good God is, how blessed God is, how righteous God is, how holy he is, how loving he is, and what he's willing to do for them if they will turn away from their sin and trust in him. And uh, that, but that's, it's up to them. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God. In their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Um, this, is, this is the pathway to reprobation. You know God. You absolutely know him. You are without excuse. There, there is, there's no way for you not to know. I don't care who you are, where you were born. You know God. Then, the, then, then comes the point at which you, you hold the truth in unrighteousness you refuse to glorify him as God. That, that wording is so incredible. Because it means if, if, I, if I say this is a church, and then I come in here and, and I, I have a dance party, or a night, we turn it into a nightclub. Well, you knew this was a church. Why are you using it as a nightclub? Because I don't care of it for its purpose. I don't care for the reason in which this building exists. 
I'm going to take this building, I'm not, but people who, of that ilk are going to take this building and they're going to purposefully misuse it. They knew he was God, but they refused to glorify him as God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving you that position in my life. I will not let you be God in my life. Now, again, it changes nothing about God. It only changes their relationship to God. Then the next thing is they refuse to be thankful. I mean, can, where do they think their, their clothes came from? Where do they think their food came from? The Big Bang? I mean, they don't thank the Big Bang. <laughs> they know it came from something, some intelligent being. In fact, they, they, they love science so much, it ends up being, late. Uh, as of late, it's been their worst enemy. As, Science is proving more and more that some sort of intelligent creator had to have a hand in, in, in the, the beginning of the world, and they hate it. <laughs> Can we sweep that under the rug? No. It ended up being one of the greatest discoveries in all of uh, biology. And you just knew it was going to prove there's no God. Oops. <laughs> they refuse to glorify him as God. They refuse to be thankful. Then God begins to give them over. You go, you go chase what you want. You go have what you want. Now, that day of judgment between me and you is still coming. Yeah. You, you, you get to live in blindness. You get to have a reprobate mind and, and live in unnatural, de depraved ways. You're still going to stand before God and be judged. You will not escape that judgment. Yeah. You've just put a temporary measure between the two of you. Look at verse 30. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Now, sometimes I, f I feel like, sometimes I have to ask myself, you know, I'll, I'll say that people hate God. And I'm like, is that, am I using language that's too strong? Is it, is it hyperbolic? Then I read in the Bible about haters of God. <laughs> there are people in this world that hate this God. They don't want anything to do with a moral, righteous, holy, sinless, perfect God who's going to tell them to do the same. Look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgment, uh-oh, of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So this God, Paul's God, our God, He's going to come back in judgment one day. People make the mistake, and Peter, the epistles of Peter talk about it. You know, all things just continue as they are. Where's the promise of his coming? I thought you said he was coming. Where is he? Can you imagine that day? I thought you said he was coming. Where is he? And he, and he, and he appears. <laughs> now, that day is coming. And I understand you, 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 think, you might think that we're foolish. You might think that we're silly because we cling to this blessed hope that God promised in an old book. It's coming. You want to be prepared for it. I would rather be prepared for it and it not happen than not be prepared for it and it does happen. <laughs> Don't toy with God. Now, that's not why I believe it. There is far too much reality that pours out of the pages of this book for me not to trust it. 
God said he's coming back. And when he comes back, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. You're going to be judged. You don't want to play with God. Not in this way. Right now, I, I appreciate people who who say I, I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to figure it out. OK, I, I get that. I appreciate that. That's that's good. But for people who think that they're settled, there is no God. I hate God. Well, how can you hate something that doesn't exist? Help me understand that. Well, I didn't say it existed. You said you hate him. <laughs> I, you, you, you never told me you hate nothing. Because nothing doesn't exist. <laughs> so um, that's Paul's God. That's what he has to say about him in chapter 1. And, and it just goes on and on and on through the rest of the book from there. And that's a, that's a lot of information about God in one chapter. That's a lot to learn about the true and living God. And, and so I encourage you to get to know him. Uh, now, we are instructed in the Bible to follow Paul as he follows Christ. He is said to be the apostle to the Gentiles, which is us. And anybody here a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? <laughs> Nobody? Then you're a Gentile. Congratulations. Therefore, well, you're not, you're not a Gentile if you're saved. Now you're part of the church of God. All right, so therefore, we want to become very familiar with Paul's God because he is our God. And we want to live for him and trust him till the day he takes us to be with him. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.